let's go ahead. Yeah, here we are. I, look at that. All right, so uh, if you're listening online here, I want to just let you know that this is, this is a presentation I'm giving at Vanguard University, and so we got some students here. So if there is a long pause between me speaking, it might be one of the students asking a question, so just kind of hang in there uh, um, with that as well. And uh, so tonight's discussion is um, uh, eschatology, this is the, kind of the whole topic of eschatology. And I basically have two objectives that I'd like to get across over the course of this um, the presentation. How come that didn't work, David? Which button do I push? There it is. Okay, it's the down button. That's, okay, that's fine. All right, uh, so here, I got two points that I want to make. Number one is the entire New Testament is eschatological. It's not, and it's not just about the future, all right? Uh, and we'll uh, go over that a little bit as much as possible. And number two, biblical eschatology is missional. Now, eschatology means what? Study of the church? Uh, no, that's ecclesiology. Okay. Yeah. Eschaton. The eschaton is... The end, the, the end times. All right. So we typically think of eschatology as having to do with the future, right? As though it's futuristic, all right? Uh, and, there, and I'm going to make a case, I'm going to make the argument that actually the entire New Testament is eschatological. Now, I want to get to some of these popular topics of like the tribulation um, and things like that and Armageddon um, there. But I really feel that the best way to answer them and to kind of address those questions is to kind of lay out a foundation of, of this, how the New Testament, the entire New Testament is this eschatological thing, and what it means to be, that it's missional as well, all right? Um, and the way I would say it is this, I could start today and just kind of say, hey, I'm going to stretch your minds and everything you've ever understood about eschatology, and I'm going to wreck all that, and I'm going to give this whole alternative, you know, and, 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 that's, and that's great, but you know what happens is, we debate theology, and you say this, and I say this, and we, we walk out, and we're, just, and we're none the better, right? And so, what I would like to say is this. I'd rather stretch your understanding of what it means to be a Christian. What's the mission of God's people? What's it all about? What's Jesus calling us to do? And, and why does it matter? All right, so, uh, one of the books I wrote is called Understanding... The, the original edition of it was Understanding Eschatology, but not enough people knew what eschatology meant, so I had to retitle it and put out a second edition. So, the second edition is, is titled Understanding the New Testament in the End Times. The subtitle, which didn't make it on the cover of the second edition, is why it matters. And that's the whole, it matters, and it really does matter. So even if you don't buy everything I have to say about how to understand the end times or whatever, I think we're going to find a consensus to say, hey, hey, this is why it matters, and this is the significance uh, um, of, of it all. All right. Now, let me start by just kind of giving you some questions. These are rhetorical questions. I'm not going to answer them now. I may answer them by the time we're done, you know, and if, we, and, and if you want to, you know, you guys got my information, you can contact me anytime you want uh, to follow up with this as well. But why do we worship on Sunday when the Old Testament says the Sabbath is Saturday? Okay, yeah, you might have a pretty good answer for that. Why don't we celebrate the Passover and the various Old Testament feasts like they did in the Old Testament? I mean, Jesus did, right? Uh, why don't we sacrifice animals and, att and attend to worship in the temple, all right? Uh, now, let's go even, even deeper. Let me ask some questions that you may not know the answers to. All right? And these are still rhetorical. I want to answer them as we go. Why was Jesus baptized? Now, the reason why I think that's such a significant question is this. It says in the Gospels that John the Baptist was baptizing with a baptism of repentance, and Jesus didn't sin. He ain't got nothing to repent for. Right? All right, secondly, why are the first words of the Gospel of John in the beginning? Now, if you're a Jewish reader in the first century, and you see, in the beginning, you immediately think of Genesis. Genesis. 
So John's trying to tell us something here. Why does Matthew begin his gospel with a genealogy? Right? Chapter 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus of Christ. And it goes on the first 17 verses or, or an extensive. I thought genealogies were like Old Testament stuff, right? What, what's the significance of that? Did you recognize that the book of Acts, and, and if we had time, I'd show you the references in, uh, in there uh, in detail. Uh, it's Acts 1, 3 and Acts 28, verse 31. Both begins and ends with references to the kingdom of God. Jesus rises from the dead, and for 40 days, it says, he was preaching to them about the kingdom of God. The very last verse in the book of Acts is Paul was in Rome for two years preaching about the kingdom of God. All right. Well, really simply here, this is an ancient author's way of bracketing. It's called inclusio. And the inclusio, you'll either frame like a story or a section um, or, or a larger section or, or the whole book, and often the whole book. You'll see this in, throughout the New Testament. They'll frame a whole book with a key phrase or a key word or, or a, key, a key designation. And the point of it is that's what the entire book's about. And it's the whole book of Acts is about the kingdom of God. Right? But then we think, oh, the kingdom of God's future. Because we think of eschatology as something purely future, right? And by the way, you know, I have in my notes, which I skipped over, you know, to kind of tell you a little bit of my story. I grew up in the 70s. I was born in 6 of 66. True story. All right. Um, you know, I grew up in the 70s, early 80s, the Cold War, right? We, we, the time that David and I, we grew up, the war was going to end, the, the Russians were going to, I mean, we, we believed all this stuff was going to happen, was going to happen, going to happen, going to happen. And I really, I got personally disillusioned when all the prophecies I had been hearing about for 15 years, when none of them happened. In 1989, which you guys are way too young to have any idea what that even is about, um, the Berlin Wall falls, communism falls, the Russians fall, right? And all of a sudden, like, oh, oh, everything I've been told all these years about how the end of the world was going to happen, was, it, was, it was not even close to happening. In fact, it was farther away from happening now than it was 10 years earlier. And I became disillusioned. Well, I ended up going on for a PhD, and my, 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 my focus was the book of Revelation. Um, and I fell in love with the book of Revelation as I began to understand the beauty and the depth of the story of the book of Revelation. So, time permitting, we'll take some time to discuss that. All right, let's begin uh, by going to Mark chapter... Uh, oh, there, actually, I did have references to Acts on, on the slides. Sorry about that. You guys can probably see that. Uh, so, Mark chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Now, I think Mark 1, 1 is actually a title. So, this actually makes verse 2, which we don't have time to explain, uh, the opening verse in the Gospel of Mark. And it's John the Baptist saying, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet... Behold, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, uh, 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 crying in the wilderness, make, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Okay. Now, you might note that this is a, that this is a, uh, a citation. He says Isaiah, but it's actually a compilation of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, Exodus 23, 20, and Malachi 3, 1. And now note the Malachi 3, 1, because I'm going to bring that back up later. The Gospel of Mark begins with John the Baptist saying, make ready in the, hot, in the wilderness, a, 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 in the, he's in the wilderness saying, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now here's one of the things I would say, all right? And the preacher kind of comes out at me once in a while. I'm a teacher, but I, but I, I don't mind preaching. And, and that is this. You can't just read this like softly. As is written in Isaiah the prophet. Right? You've got to shout this, folks. Something is happening. Mark is beginning his story by quoting three very significant Old Testament passages saying, God, the Lord is coming back. Make a highway in the desert. Make, uh, make his path straight. The Lord's coming. Do you wonder, I mean, you have to understand what happened from, by the time of John the Baptist. For 400 years, there hasn't been a prophet, folks. Since the time of Ezra, there's been no prophets. 
right? In the Gospel of John, the Pharisees sent people out to see who John the Baptist was. What's going on down here? We haven't seen a prophet in 400 years. So you, you, he is something significant is happening. All right. Now let's move forward. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. You might be familiar with the passage. The Holy Spirit falls upon the... Uh, uh, which, by the way, I think, David, going back to Genesis, by the way, it's a reversal of Babel. Right? Because instead of having all the languages confused, now everyone's understanding in their own language. All right. So the Holy Spirit pours out, and Peter says, As it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my Spirit upon all mankind. And he goes on to quote, Hey guys, we're not drunk. This is simply what Joel said would happen. And he quotes Joel 2.28, right? which is actually another very significant Old Testament passage. But note what it says, As it shall be in the last days. Right? So what we're realizing here is, wait a second, the last days are being described as some present activity, as as some present thing, because the Holy Spirit is coming out. Hebrews chapter 1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions, in many ways, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Uh, Go to 1 John 2.18. Children, it's the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. From this we know that it's the last hour. So look what John says. Not only is it the last days, it's actually the last hour. Okay. So we've got to reckon with something, and that is the New Testament is telling us something's happening here, something big and significant, and it's not just being postponed to the future, it's the present uh, reality. All right, now we skip back to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. And I know I'm going quickly, but uh, you guys that are here in the class have, have at least a handout with all the, the verses on it, so hopefully you're able to track. And again, please feel free to stop me if you need to. But Mark 1, verses 14 and 15, John the ba- here's what it says. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Right? What's Jesus saying? He's like, he's saying, hey, look, the time's fulfilled. The, gospel, the kingdom of God's at hand. It's here. It's not something future only. It's something, and I do believe there's a future element to it. No, no problem there at all. Right? But there's a present reality to the kingdom of God. All right, now let me go one more step here uh, uh, for, the, for this first part. All right, the key feature of the kingdom of God is the dwelling of God among his people. Okay? Uh, the key feature of the, of the kingdom of God is the presence of God. Right? Remember, make a highway in the desert because the Lord is coming back, right? Which makes Jesus the Lord coming back, right? And there's just no question about who Jesus is. He's the Lord coming back. All right, so Revelation 21, verses 1 through 3. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice in the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. All right. Now, we're going to come back to this verse in a little, in a little, bit, in, in a little while as well as I make another, make another argument there. But the key feature of the kingdom of God is the fact that it's God dwelling among his people, and this is the climax in the book of Revelation. Now, we, if we had more time, and, and I'll do this a little bit in, in what's going to follow, we would go back, of course, to the book of Genesis. This is what, was, this is what the Garden of Eden is all about, right? That God creates Adam and Eve, and he brings Adam and Eve into his presence, 
right? In the garden. It's God dwelling. And so we talk about, you know, sin and the fall, whatever. And, we, you know, what was lost is, you know, is our sin. What was lost is our dwelling in God's presence. So what's going to happen when the kingdom's restored? God's presence is going to be restored to us. Jesus is God's presence, right? Hence the kingdom of God's at hand. It, it had to have already begun. Now, we all believe that the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts, and therefore the kingdom of God is still present because God dwells within us. He's not, this, it's not this distance there. God's dwelling amongst us and, and dwelling within us. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and stop uh, uh, for just a second now as we transition to our second point.